Welcome to Plato's Cave. I'm Jordan Myers, and I'm a master's student in philosophy at the University of Houston. You're listening to a reading group episode of the show, which means that in this episode, I discuss the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy entry on moral responsibility and determinism with two non-philosopher friends, Adam and Giffen because philosophy shouldn't just be for philosophers. So this is the second episode in the Free Will and Moral Responsibility series. And uh, today, we it's kind of a follow-up on the, uh, the first episode, the review of Sam Harris's uh, Free Will. This episode is kind of clarifying some concepts um, and drilling down on exactly what of uh, what the three of us believe at the beginning of the series. So, with that in mind, I hope that this episode is um, an educational one for you. I know recording it was for me. Um, as with the first, this episode is audio only. That will soon change, and it was also recorded well over a year ago. So my position uh, has changed uh, pretty drastically from the one I espoused in this video. So. With that introduction, I really hope that you enjoy the episode. For listeners, we should say that like the, the only thing we really read here is I printed out, or I sent you guys, a, um, a couple just different sections from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy on two sections, determinism and free will. If listeners want to follow along, it's, it's just Google those two things and you'll be able to find the sources. At least what I'm kind of viewing this as is obviously kind of a close in the loop uh, or a part two on the first episode, figuring out all the questions that we had in terms of just like what what exactly we mean by certain terms about free will as we move into compatibilism and moral responsibility. So that even if we do differ at the end of this episode, at least we understand how we differ and what the other people think and that'll be interesting actually moving through like the other readings if we do disagree uh, sure sure at the end of this okay okay cool but okay so here's here's kind of how i'm viewing this because i have like a couple questions from the last episode written down but the first thing that i think that we need to pin down is where we all stand on the following questions so the way i'm understanding things at least from like a thirty thousand foot view is that the first, the first question that begins the branch off is, do you find determinism incompatible with free will? Which is to say, are you an incompatibilist or, a, or, or not on determinism and free will? And if the answer is yes, then we have to decide if you, if you say that, okay, determinism is incompatible with free will, but we do have free will i.e. the libertarian position, or if you say, yes, they're incompatible and we don't have free will, i.e. the incompatible determinist uh, position. And then if you answer no to the question of is determinism incompatible with free will, okay, then you're just some sort of a compatibilist, i.e. like, you know, maybe the Dennett style or there's a bunch of other different styles. And, and we don't have to figure out that in this episode. There are other, you know, readings we can do on that. But then, so, okay, so, so then, you know, free will is being redefined to mean something other than libertarian freedom. Do you guys agree with how I'm kind of viewing the 30,000-foot view of this? Yeah, okay. I think those are good frames. Okay, so, Adam, the, I remember the one thing that, like, after the episode we were talking, and I remember you wanted a, and it was a fair, it was a fair ask, like a strict definition of what we mean by some terms. And I think one of the terms was determinism, right? Maybe not that one in particular, but I'd love to hear a good definition. Okay, okay. So, so I came up with the one that, that I think is the non-jargon-filled version of it, right? Um, just from like the reading that we had. And I don't think it goes against any of the reading, but, but just this is how I'm thinking about it. In terms of like the free will debate, determinism means that there is this fact that everything about any individual's composition or origin can be traced back to factors that they did not author or cannot causally own. So, for instance, genetics, parents, place of birth, culture of birth, time of birth, sun radiation, etc. Right. The point is not that we can know any of these specifically and whether or not they led to any given thought or action but we simply know that there are causes like this that do exist. 
that's what I mean by determinism. Do you guys have a problem with that as kind of the working definition moving forward? No. I don't think so. But I mean, maybe this is just this is kind of playing devil's advocate. But Jordan, do sure. you like do you happen to like know places where there might be disagreement on like that definition? There there are some people if you press me for a name, I won't be able to give you one. I, I've heard arguments before where some people try to wiggle out of determinism. The, the second part of my definition where I said, okay, it's not the point that we're able to know what cause led to what outcome, right. but just the mere fact that there are causes. So some people have said um, that, no, it's like the, the mystery of the causes is what grants us freedom. I, I, I don't find that very compelling at all Yeah, because I, it's just, it's just open to more information, right? It's not, you're not denying that like the information exists. You're just denying that we know it. Okay. That seems to be a bit spurious. Um, as a distinction for me. Okay. The, yeah, I figured the, I'd ask, but that's not compelling. The the only other thing that I so so the the only other thing I was gonna add is that when I say determinism, I'm I'm not actually super concerned with whether randomness factors into it. I include randomness in deterministic causes, even though it's technically indeterminate. But in, in the sense that randomness would be that which determines any given action. So I could say determinism plus randomness, or I could just say determinism, and I'm, I'm kind of meaning the same thing. The other, the other way that I think about it is the necessary and sufficient condition of determinism is that if you were to pause and rewind the universe to a previous state and hit play again, nothing would unfold differently. Or if it did, then that was due to randomness. So that kind of clarifies how the randomness fits in. Do you guys have an issue with that either? No. Okay, okay, nice. So <laughs> I've, I've rambled a lot, but I, I wanted to just kind of lay out how I was viewing determinism and then how I was viewing the conversation. So the the one thing that i remember we didn't exactly know where we fell on was adam if you were advocating for some sort of libertarianism or if it was something more akin to a type of compatibilism i i think it's it began compatibilism then i began to flirt with libertarianism but then i ended in compatibilism so that that's where i fin ended and finished up but the road along the way did veer a little bit into libertarian mm -hmm. free will. Yeah. So just to close, so to close the loop on our previous conversation, where do you stand on the claim that, cause I think you disowned it, but I just, I just want to understand like for the rest of the series moving forward, where do you stand on the claim that when a thought arises, that obviously arises from just, you know, non free darkness. I mean, it just happens to arise. But I think you said, uh, what was the phrase? It was like modified by consciousness or it bounces off consciousness. And that's where the libertarian freedom comes. Is that still something that you're clinging to? Or are you viewing that in more of a compatibilist state now? A compatibilist state. Like, okay. I, I, still, I still stand by that notion. Okay. But, but definitely through a compatibilist lens, yeah. Because the, the reason why I was confused is before, because I agree that that's like a very... Uh, worthy distinction of holding but i mean correct me if i'm wrong but there was a little bit of at least flirtation like you said with that being a libertarian set uh, uh source of freedom i i'm i'm gonna push back a little bit no okay the the libertarian source was when you when we got to the point where you asked could things have been different mm. could things have been different you know could you have decided differently and i said i don't know Okay. Could you so, have done otherwise? Yeah. 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 But then I, I've come around to agree that I okay. don't see any other way. But no, no. I with that argument, there was never any indication of okay. free will. Yeah. Okay. That 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 helps because I couldn't remember. I didn't re-listen the episode. I couldn't remember where the libertarian freedom was coming from. I came in at that location. So. Okay. Okay. So so what? Just, just honestly remind me, if it's also good for the listeners, what was the change from resisting uh, the conclusion that we could not have done otherwise to, to admitting that there is no could have done otherwise? Well, I think actually it's maybe important to mention it first 
that actually I didn't say I don't know. I said maybe, which is an important distinction. <laughs> That's true. Because um, I, I, <laughs> I left the possibility a little more open with maybe than I don't know. <laughs> Definitely. So, Fair distinction. So that is important to mention. But, well, I mean, we just kind of explored by which course could someone have chosen differently. And, and the doors just were closed off. They were closed off, yeah. Okay, okay. That makes sense. Also, the the other thing that I, I liked in the reading, and I, I think I, I think the Harris book mentions it, but we didn't mention it. Or or did we? Did we did we give a brief aside about fatalism or not in the previous episode? Yeah, yeah. We, we did? did? Okay, so so I don't need to mention that then. Um, uh, I think it was pretty brief. I think it'd be worth mentioning again, personally. Yeah, well the, well, the fatalism is slightly akin to what I was saying about not being able to know any of the causes led to any specific conclusions, but that's simply that there are. And I don't know about you guys, but like, because I know Adam and I have been talking about free will for like several years at this point, but the, the Adam, I'm curious, it, the number one reaction that I've gotten when discussing free will is I advocate for determinism. And people instantly kind of strawman that with fatalism. Have you have you encountered that as well? To be honest, like the typical encounter I get is, you know, then why are you even talking about this? Mm. You know what I mean? Very or, fatalistic. Yeah. Like, you know, if if you if you don't, you know, decide what you do ultimately, then yeah. why have you been having this conversation? Yeah, yeah. Which is funny because I mean, they, they that pe that person is not understanding, you know, what I'm saying precisely due to no free will of their own, like. You know what I mean? You, you can't, yeah. So, so fatalism, I'll just quote from the Stanford uh, encyclopedia. It says Stanford, uh, sorry, fatalism. It says Stanford. <laughs> fatalism is the thesis that all events, or in some versions at least, some events are destined to occur no matter what we do. Uh, the source of the guarantee is that those will events happened. Uh, is it located in the will of the gods, their divine foreknowledge, or some intrinsic teleological aspect of the universe, rather than the unfolding of events under the sway of natural laws or cause-effect relations? Uh, fatalism is therefore clearly separable from determinism. And to me, all that saying is a bit you know, fancier language than no, no, no. Like people are misconstruing the fact that it's not whether we can know. It's not about predictability. It's about understanding that there just are causes, that we are nothing more than causes. Yeah, I think I think it, it's explained well in that sentence just by kind of the contrast made between teleological approaches yeah. and causal approaches in the sense that tele teleological kind of explain, is explaining events um, by their outcomes mm. and like you know, through their causes, which determinism, you know, attempts to explain things by. Like everything that we talk about in the subsequent, uh, like episodes is not going to have to do with predictability. It's about determinism. So I, I actually thought, I don't know. I, I thought this reading was a little bit technical, a little bit jargony, but it did actually bring out some very good distinctions. And one of those was under the section, the freedom to do otherwise. So they talk about, now remember I said at the beginning of, I think it was the beginning of last episode maybe, there are, when we ask if, are you a compatibilist, there's two possible things we can be asking that about. We can be asking, do you think determinism is compatible with free will? And do you think moral responsibility is compatible with determinism? What we're talking about in this episode is is compatibilism between determinism and free will. So they talk so they they kind of introduce like a couple different ways to look at the freedom to do otherwise, which I, I don't know about you guys, but for me that that really is kind of where the crux of of the debate lies, right? Is like if you have no freedom to do otherwise, then you can say you mean something else by free will, but but you're kind of changing the subject at that point. Well, I, I do think it, like, depends on framing. So I felt like a pretty good quote. So this is, like, not my quote. Just doing a little side reading. And, like, I felt like this, you know, at least to me, did a good job of kind of, like, explaining what I meant. But mm. let's just read it here. People do have an ability to rationally choose among options to the extent that they can represent options to themselves and choose it between them according to, to processes of rational deliberation. 
Who is like, that, by the way? Um, it was someone who I I forget the exact website, but someone was just like Jay Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> Peterson. <laughs> no, it's somebody somebody's thesis, but I, I liked it though. Oh, interesting. I, I liked the way it was put though. Yeah. So, yeah. and that for me, like, I don't think that's like a a trivial distinction there. Right? No. Do you, do you kind of, do you kind of see where I'm coming from there? Can you repeat it? Actually, I don't yeah. think I grasped. I, yeah, what you're trying to explain. So people do have an ability to rationally choose among options, to the extent that they can represent options to themselves, and choose between them according to processes of rational deliberation. Okay. So, does that make sense there? I mean, I think that makes sense. I'm just curious how you're going to frame that going forward, I think. Well, the term, the, the other way to put this is like <clears throat> in the in the literature, people refer to this as reasons responsiveness. Yeah. Um, okay. And a lot of people will uh, put that forth as a condition uh, either. Now, this is this is where it's interesting because people will put that forth as both a condition for some compatibilist notion of freedom and people will also put that forth as a uh, necessary and sufficient condition for moral responsibility. Um, so it's actually used hmm. two different ways in two different like debates, which is interesting. I think that distinction is much more relevant for the debate we're going to have than, than about free will. That, to me, is a distinction not about freedom, but more about the, the types. It's not about free will, it's more about sort of the, I don't want to use the word freedom that people have because that, that kind of conflates it with like free will. But that to me is more of an indication of the category of person you're dealing with, if that makes sense. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense to me because I asked you to repeat like the, like the sentence because I couldn't really, I wasn't 100% sure if it was like kind of saying anything about free will and it didn't really seem to to me at least the way I was kind of interpreting the words. But Jordan, I think that was an excellent um, explanation. And I think we should definitely bring that back um, for moral, the conversation on moral responsibility. Because I just think, like Adam, I'm curious what you think to what I said, but, but I, I just think that bringing that into, because it's a very important distinction to hold. It's very important. But to bring that into the free will debate, to me, seems a little bit misplaced. It says, other philosophers see them, um, reasons to uh, doubt uh, uh, in free will, as, uh, as reasons to favor a more modest free will agnosticism or to pr promote revisionism about the folk idea of free will. And that's pretty common, actually, where a lot of philosophers will say, well, of course, you know, there's no libertarian free will. But, you know, we always knew determinism was true anyway, and, and we shouldn't really kind of... Uh, kind of acquiesce to the lay person's notion about free will. And it's like, I get that view, but the problem is, is like, A, I don't think that makes a lot of sense because there are a small subset of people who, A, are libertarian free will advocates who are sophisticated philosophers, or at least sophisticated thinkers. And B, I, if the majority of kind of the lay population does believe in a concept... I don't know how we speak about it then if we are reducing kind of the, 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 the jargon internal to the practice as something else. Do you know what I'm saying? No, like, I, I get what you're saying. And that's why definitions are important. Because I mean, mm -hmm. it's like if you're defining free will ultimately as the, the ability to do otherwise, you know, then no. Like, <laughs> like Very simply, no. Yeah. It's completely incompatible. But I don't know. I guess like the way I've been just kind of thinking about free will has been through these like this lens in a sense, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. So the idea is okay if if we're comparing or if we're assessing the lay person's view of free will, it does not exist, mm -hmm. and it's completely incompatible. But to me, I like I've just given it some thought, and it's like. Maybe I've spent so much time now with like with free will talking about or you know over the years and stuff like that, but 
it's it's not a very like stunning claim to me when we get to the point where it's like okay everything you know has some sort of cause mm-hmm. you know that the reason you think about you know a certain thing um is based on you know your environment who you mm-hmm. are as a person your experiences what happens to affect you at that time and it's like well yeah yeah, I mean that that just, you know happens to you know coincide well with my own experience, mm-hmm. but it's like I still want to preserve this aspect of it, and I think it's an important, yeah. at least for me, that makes sense at all. Can we run through really quickly then the three types of of libertarian accounts of sourcehood? Yeah, it, sure. even as if to table them to then push them off the table. Um, okay. There's three kind of main libertarian options for for understanding sourcehood of self-determination. There's non-causal libertarianism, there's event-causal libertarianism, and there's agent-causal libertarianism. And this is in section 2.5. So it says, non-causal libertarians contend that exercises of the power of self-determination need not, or perhaps even cannot, be caused or causally structured. According to this, we control our volition or choice simply in virtue of it being ours. It's occurring in us. Um, now, obviously, <laughs> that doesn't really hold any weight for, you know, us. Because I, it's just like, I mean, read that again. Non-causal libertarians contend that exercises of the power of self-determination need not be caused or causally structured. I don't even know what to make of that claim. It's like, what are you like? What are you ascribing to it then? Like, how could something not have any cause? It, it's, it's, it's like as though they're imagining some being in perfect isolation. You know, yeah. With yeah. no influence of an environment. <laughs> but the funny thing is about that, like, I doubt. I have serious skepticism about whether that would subjectively feel like free will, though. Like, it would almost have to kind of just come from nowhere. Do you, yeah. do you know what I mean? It might feel like it come from nowhere. But but imagine you, you kind of making a choice yeah. that like, it's just like what, like, what the hell came over me? Like, that would be your experience of everything, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah. I, I don't know how you would kind of have an identity under that view. But but apparently, so so the funny thing is, though, is that seems to be, we, we, we can discuss it, but that seems to be what I would ascribe most people's lay assumption to is that non-causal or sometimes called contra-causal source of, of libertarianism. Just a quick intrusion um, or, or a bit of an update. So this is Jordan uh, as I'm editing this episode several months later. And I just, I just wanted to uh, supplement that quote that I read. So this is in section 2.5 of the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy under the entry Free Will. Uh, So I'll start with that original quote, talking about non-causal libertarians. Uh, The SCP says, Non-causal libertarians contend that exercises of the power of self-determination need not, or perhaps even cannot, be caused or causally structured. According to this view, we control our volition or choice simply in, in virtue of its being ours. It's occurring in us. We do not exert a special kind of causality in bringing it about. Instead, it is an intrinsically active event, intrinsically something we do. While there may be causal influences upon our choice, there need not be. And any such causal influence is wholly irrelevant to understanding why it occurs. So it seems to be saying, you know, A, non-causal libertarians might doubt that there are causes influencing us but b even if they do influence us they cannot be sort of the determining factor for lack of a better word um so continuing or or repeating while there may be causal influences upon our choice there need not be and any such causal influence is wholly irrelevant to understanding why it occurs reasons provide an autonomous non-causal form of explanation provided our choices are excuse me provided our choice is not wholly determined by prior factors it is free and under our control simply in virtue of being ours non-causal views have failed to garner wide support among libertarians since for many self-determination seems to be an essentially causal notion Okay, so that last sentence is indicating to me that this has nothing to do with the concept of causa sui, 
or self-causation or self-determination. This more seems to be, and honestly, I'm not actually, I'm not sure that I'm fully understanding this view, and maybe it's something I need to follow up on, um, but it seems to be this sort of almost godlike view of what you as an individual are able to do. It's It seems to be that you can just sort of through pure will um, influence yourself. I mean, that quote that I read again and expounded upon seems to indicate that. F- from that last sentence I read, it, it doesn't seem to be an issue of you determining your sources or, or self-determination. It seems to be some sort of some sort of, it says, an autonomous, non-causal form of explanation. Again, sorry for lack of understanding. I don't know if that's just me, or if a lot of people, even in this field, might not know exactly what non-causal libertarianism implies. Perhaps the episode that I recorded with Seth Shabo might shed some light on this. That was episode, I believe, 27. So if listeners want to do that, they can check that out. Okay, back to the original discussion. But it it continues. uh, Most libertarians endorse an event causal or agent causal account of sourcehood. Both of these accounts maintain the exercises of the power of self-determination consist partly in the agents bringing about her choice or action, but they disagree on how to analyze an agent's bringing about her choice. While event causal libertarianism admits of different species, at the heart of this view is the idea that self-determining an action requires, at minimum, that the agent cause the action, and that an agent's causing his action is wholly reducible to mental states and other events involving that agent non-deviantly causing his action. Now, that's just, that's just ignoring the important part of the problem for me, right? It's like, it says... The agent at the heart of the issue is that the agent caused the action and the agent's causing of that action is wholly reducible to mental states. It's like, okay, that's, yeah, yeah, totally true. Like, yeah, how else could you initiate action? It's totally your mental states. But the the question is like, are you responsible for any of those mental states? And are there causes for that? And of course there are. So so that I, I, I don't understand that view really at all. That view seems to just be missing the point. That makes sense as a compatibilist view, but as a libertarian view, that doesn't hold any water. The, the, the other thing to close the loop on that is event causal libertarians need to, to believe that self-determination requires non-deterministic causation in a non-deviant way by an agent's reasons. That this, to, this made the least sense. This, uh, this, uh, yes, that this, made the least sense. It's like that, that just merely asserts that like, we have some contracausal power. It's like I have no reason. I have no reason to believe that we do. Like I don't even know. That's almost incoherent to me. Yeah, you know? yeah, I agree. Um, and just finally, just to close the loop, because I, I do think it's nice to have these distinctions. Um, agent causal libertarianism seems to capture an aspect of the self-determination that neither the above compatibilist accounts nor event causal libertarian accounts capture. These accounts reduce the causal role of the self to states and events to which the agent is not identical, even if he is identified with them. Uh, this, this made no sense to me. There's a Richard Taylor, uh, there's a quote from him. If I believe that something not identical to myself was the only cause of my behavior, some event wholly external to myself, for instance, or even one internal to myself, such, such as a nerve impulse, volition, or whatnot, then I cannot regard the behavior as being an act of mine unless I further believed that I was the cause of that external or internal event. So, so this is like, th- this seems to be grasping at being the cause of the causes in some weird way. And, and like the very next sentence is, um, it's funny, it's, despite its powerful intuitive pull for some, many have argued that agent cause of libertarianism is obscure or even incoherent. And I agree that it is both of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I, so, sorry to de- to kind of derail us for a minute, but since we're officially just moving past libertarianism, I wanted to flush out those distinctions for any audience members who might feel the pull of libertarianism. 
what we were talking about before where it's like, well, what really matters? Is it like compatibilist distinctions or libertarian distinctions? What really matters is a lot of the distinctions that we're talking about. But I am very skeptical about the idea that those distinctions, like the one you read, reasons, responsiveness, are distinctions to be made about the free will debate. I, I think that they are far more important for issues like moral responsibility and that they, they belong much more in that debate. I think it also just, at least for me, seems to um, kind of cohere nicely with the subjective feeling of free will as, as how we would actually, like if you actually were to examine how your brain functions, um, I feel like the deterministic model, like, although it's completely correct, I feel like doesn't actually use the language necessary to describe the experience of free will. And I think that through these compatibilistic terms, it helps to both address the ultimate causality, you know, of that, that like that determines, you know, like our actual actions, mm -hmm. but also kind of keeps to the kind of descriptive feeling and kind of process of what we kind of expect as like, you know, intelligent people of what actually is this experience of, you know, it seems like we're choosing between things, even if the thoughts that arise in our head, ultimately, we mm -hmm. don't choose. So I, that was a bit convoluted, but no, no, I think you're I, pointing. Oh, well, just real quick. Yeah. Like, I, I think you're pointing to something that is obviously crucial for considerations of like interpersonal relationships or ethical considerations, which is like, okay, well, we need to be able to talk about like voluntary versus involuntary actions, for instance, or decisions that you really reasoned about versus split second decisions or, or things that you do out of like maybe habit or something like that. Right. Like all of these distinctions are super important. And I agree. What I'm saying though, is I, I just, <clears throat> all of those things are, are very important distinctions, but to me, they, they don't, they don't have anything to do with freedom or free will that 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 all I, I think all of the things that we want to preserve about those distinctions are very happily imported into the moral responsibility debate i mean yeah i was just gonna say well i guess g generally agreeing with you jordan about all the points you brought up about like ethics and interpersonal relations and things like that these are very important distinctions right they're they're mm -hmm. not um negligible but I, my, I was actually going to ask Adam, like, if, like, the passage that he, like, read that, you know, to circle back before our discussion mm -hmm. of, like, the libertarian, like, positions, I'm curious, Adam, if it actually informs anything about, like, your position on free will. Because to me, like, like that, the entire um, passage could be basically, you know, it, it, none of it contradicts the idea of the fact that we don't have free will. And well, so I'm just curious... I mean, maybe you you already answered it with like your description of like the subjective, but maybe I just like I don't I just wanted to act, ask directly if it informed your free will thoughts. I, I think I think you guys make really good points, but here here's like kind of like the lens I'm I'm viewing it through here. It's almost like okay, you know, I've adopted to some extent like a you know a, a, you know a consequentialist you know viewpoint on ethics, right? Mm. I don't I don't know why. That, that ethics system ultimately, you know, appealed to me, but that's one that I've come to adopt based on who I am. So if, you know, I actually, I had like a, an interesting kind of um, moral question pop up, you know, just about a week ago, actually, a day or two after we did the podcast, where I, you know, I kind of thought about it and just examined my own thoughts just arise and it was through that framework and then I came to sort of a conclusion through that. Through that process, it's mm -hmm. what I would call, you know, certainly a free will experience, but maybe not ultimately free. Would I you think. agree with it, like characterizing what you're describing as the free will illusion? Because, I mean, I would agree with you if you called it the illusion. Mm. Like, I'm just curious so if that's equivalent to you. I mean, I would say that, you know, I'm not 
Well, like the cause, of, I'm not the cause. You mm-hmm. know, like that—that that is a fact. That's obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, and the way that those thoughts impact me, like I'm ultimately I have like no control over that either. But like the process itself, I, I guess it would be an illusion in that sense. So I get, I guess it would have. But I, I feel it's a very strong illusion. <laughs> if I if I'm gonna make if I'm gonna make that claim, so. Or if I'm going to concede that it's an illusion, it's a very, very strong illusion. So I can agree with that. If, in my, you, my here, opinion, can I can I ask another question about that then? Yeah. Because like, I'm I'm just trying to think about. Let's make it amoral for a second, just so we can like actually talk about the details. So, for instance, I you know obviously I'm doing like a grad school research right now, right, and that is a very rational endeavor right? Like, like deciding kind of which schools I want to apply to versus not. And I'll be faced with a similar kind of thought process if I get into more than one program about which school to go to. It'd be a nice problem to have. (laughs) But (laughs) so, so even, so even when I'm kind of exercising this reasons responsiveness and I'm looking at a school so I, I, I just want to hear like how you might dis- differ in your experience from this, Adam. So like I, I understand that obviously I don't understand why I va- or I'm not causally responsible for like why I would value some things over others um, or even honestly why I'm interested. Like a big thing for me is do the faculty have interests that align with my own, right? And, and I don't know, like I have no idea why I'm interested in some areas of philosophy and not as much in others. Uh, but I know that I do, and so I want to evaluate and kind of rank schools based on that, based on their funding packages, based on their location, based on their placement record, based on all of these things, right? Like their their other resources, their colloquia talks, all of these things, right? And that's a very reasons responsive process. But even if I even if I think about any any individual part of that. I, I do and kind of can experience that as a lack of freedom, right? Like any, like if a reason occurs to me, like, oh, wait, that, that school might not be good um, for like this reason. Like that, that just kind of pops up. And if I accept it or not, that just kind of pops up. And then how it affects my further reasoning of does anything else about the school overcome that? Like that, that all of those just kind of pop up for me. It, does that so, differ for you? I mean, I just wanted to point out, and maybe Adam, you were going to point this out as well. I think there is like at least a bit of an experiential difference between like the the idea that comes to your head mm-hmm. kind of popping up versus like the the what you described as the popping up of like the decision you make. Because I feel like it's a little bit more. It just bounce. It's like a little bit more bouncing versus just arising. But even the right. bouncing is it's it's the same I mean, type of experience. The way it feels like I think is like. You know, you've come to the rational conclusion based on like inputs, right? Like, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, oh yeah, I, I totally forgot like the distance, like some some random like, or like accidentally like touching a like a hot stove or something. It's like like shit, like I didn't mean to do like yeah yeah you, like, I, I, I didn't, well, didn't mean to do it or something. I'm not. I mean, I'm. We're, we were thinking more about thoughts than actions, but I was yeah just, yeah you're right you're right. But I mean, the the general uh, gist of it is like the. The, the way it feels like I guess the illusion is stronger whenever kind of like you quickly remember a yeah. fact or something versus whenever you kind of like are in the process of making the decision right like if you come to if you're like yes I do want to apply to this school it's like that's after like you've kind of maybe you've like made like the the chart is like positives and negatives and like kind of like what resources you have to deal with you know your, your list of preferences like it, it makes the threshold so it feels a li- little bit more well, that's what I'm saying is like that distinction is so important, but for me, it doesn't really have anything to do with freedom. Yeah, but but I I think you're also like I don't know. I mean, I, I could be wrong about this, but I feel like you're also kind of like cutting out like an important, almost um, like middleman in this process as well. Like in the sense that, like if you see a school like UC Boulder, right, uh-huh. and like just like the natural you know stunning beauty of the school just strikes and you're like wow i want to go here mm-hmm. it's me it's you're someone who loves nature so mm-hmm. i feel so i feel like it it's not like these thoughts and feelings are just arising out of nowhere actually they kind of no. reflect who you are so yeah. like, 
So it's my, not surprising that I like it. No, no. So like, yeah. so my point is that like, there's kind of like a continuity of character too over the mm -hmm. course, you know, 24 years of life, where it's like, okay, you know, these things aren't just popping out of nowhere. It's who you are, mm -hmm. which I think is, and you know, you're having, you know, reactions based on who you are. Do you choose who you are? No, no. Mm -hmm. But but it's not just like thoughts arise out of nowhere. And I have no idea why they come out. Like, oh, of course, of course. And that that would be weird. Like yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Things you not... had no experience before, like words that you've never heard before, just appear in your mind. Like, good lord! That yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that. That's like schizophrenia almost. <laughs> no, no, but yeah. uh, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's like, oh well, you know, I, I just it just UC Boulder didn't appeal to me, and like, but you're someone who loves nature, and it's just, that would be surprising. It's yeah, like, why though? <laughs> yeah. But it's but these things you're saying aren't you're thinking aren't surprising. Like they mm -hmm. align well with who you are, and I think. That's one thing I didn't hear as much when you were just saying that. It's almost like you there was some, you know, almost, you know, true mystery to the thoughts coming that were emerging. And there's there's sometimes that can be the case, but you know, for the most part, I feel like there there's an important distinction to make there that thoughts reflect who you are. So. That is, you're you're right as a a very important distinction. Um, it might just come down to a matter of phrasing because it's like, I, yeah, I agree. I, I, Adam, you seem to come back to like a lot of specific phrases that I think probably hold some like personal value to you. Um, like who you are, you say a lot, but I'm not sure like if like that holds extra meaning. Well, can I, like, can what I clarify? Yeah, sure. What, what I was, what I was thinking about is like, the, like the, the, the idea of someone's character I think is super useful here. So something can be in character for someone, like me liking UC Boulder. It can be very out of character, uh, like me not liking UC Boulder. And I don't understand how that connection has anything to do with freedom or free will. That is hugely valuable if we're either trying to evaluate another person or if we're even sort of trying to evaluate ourselves or like question a decision, but, but it's just, that, but like even like, I don't know. It's just, you can ask sort of like, could you have done otherwise for any part of a process? Well, I, I don't think you have to admit that that process is not in like is consequential to, to keep in mind, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I get where you guys are coming from. I think there just there might be some. I Giffen might mm -hmm. be right that some, some, you know, at least concepts at least appeal a lot more to me here because like, mm -hmm. what well, they appeal to me too. It's just I'm viewing them differently. I, I've already conceded like you don't choose who you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, but at the same time, like I don't, I guess, subscribe as fervently to the randomness of, like of thoughts. In the sense that, like, 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 you do not control your thoughts, mm -hmm. but your thoughts are who you are, and they are predictable. In the sense that, like, the more you know about someone, or the more you know about yourself, it's like, it, or the more you know about like the human brain. Yeah, exactly. Like, it would be like I just I don't know, make up some decision that like I'm probably going to have to come to at some point. Like, there are there are ways that I could make that decision, a deliberative decision that would be very surprising to me. But it's like, and there, and there are obviously more ways that it wouldn't be surprising. Um, but, but again, I just don't, like, like help, help me understand, Adam, why that has to do with like freedom for you um, as opposed to just just saying that's valuable and maybe i don't even understand how exactly it's valuable and maybe like the future readings will shape that but but i i don't understand why that draws back to any implications of freedom for you well i, I think it just goes back to framing I okay mean, i mean because like so your thoughts are you mm -hmm. and your thoughts inform your actions mm -hmm. so, you know, ultimately you're able to behave, you know, based on who you are. And, um, I think that there is, I think there is some freedom in that to me, at least, even though Giffen brought up the example of, you know, winding up, you know, some sort of 
you know, some toy and just letting it play out on its own. I think it's mm-hmm. a, I, but I, I don't think that seems to align with the subjective experience. I mean, if like the toy, like, I mean, I, you, you know, you'd have to make the toy as complicated as we are to begin to even kind of create the illusion of free will at that point. But I'm saying it's a very, if, if you know, if I'm conceding to the illusion, which I'm happy to do, then I'm saying mm-hmm. powerful illusion. And I think that, um, I've just explained why. I think this might honestly be just a purely terminological distinction. It could be. Honestly, whenever you agreed that it was an illusion, but a strong illusion, I thought you would like come over. But you then you say there is some freedom in it, and I'm I still don't see like the connection, frankly. Hmm. Maybe only in the subjective aspect of it. So. But I mean, I, I, I actually, this is where we really, really differ at this point. Cause your facial expressions after that are totally did it for me. Cause it's like, I, you guys have, you, you, you don't feel any subjective control over what you do. No, I do. Okay. But, but it's an illusion. Well, okay. We so, agree on that. Okay. Yeah. Strong so, illusion, right? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Yeah. 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 I'm not living in some sort of hellscape. Where <laughs> I feel no connection to. No, of course. Well, like... I, I thought that for a second, too, because I was like, you know, no, I no, 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 very no, strong no, illusion. No, no. You guys both give me that, give that the kind of quizzical look, and I'm like, really? You, so you're, you've completely. Oh, no, no. The quizzical look was why that relates to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not, not whether that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I can't decide whether I think that you are a compatibilist about free will and determinism or if if you're an incompatible determinist and you're sort of importing your views about like moral responsibility compatibilism onto this debate or not and i don't know if we're going to understand that until we move into the next readings yeah i'm I'm certainly either one of those yeah Um, clearly yeah i i because it's like, because I don't know, it's just maybe, maybe we don't have the language of, of the papers that we're going to read to, to like fully flesh it out. But it's like, everything you're saying to me is, if you're a compatibilist, you're a very special kind of one then. Um, because you're not like, like your argumentation is not what com- most compatibilists tend to be on it it's like most compatibilists tend to do something akin to what dennett does like there are different versions of it but like roughly it's some version of what dennett does where he says like we sure but but determinism was never the question like that's never what we thought was the issue what's really the issue he 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 almost says something like this simple conditional analysis where it says an agent has the ability to do otherwise if and only if were that agent to choose to do otherwise, then that agent would do otherwise. And to me, that totally misses the point. Like that, that's a tautology. It's like, if things happen differently, then they happen differently. And like, of course that's true. But like, for me, I'm kind of the exact opposite in the way. Actually. Yeah. That's what I was trying to point out. Yeah. Actually like yeah, the I, opposite of me, Bennett in this case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause the thing is like, for me, when you said that, you know, some compatibilists um, might say determinism was ne- determinism was like never the question. For me, it's almost like <laughs> libertarian free will was never the question in the sense that like I concluded like what we concluded back in tenth grade of high school that, that yeah. it didn't make any sense. So it's like now when I've tried like reframing my views on free will, that you know libertarian free will wasn't really in the question. You know, I flirted with it just briefly, just briefly, but. So, you know, like the question is like, you know, is there some sense in my mind of free will that I can still preserve? Mm. I can, but do I still preserve? I'm interested in whether after we do maybe, maybe not the next reading, because I, I kind of have a way of how we might want to set it up. But like maybe the next few readings, if if you say actually, yeah, all these concerns are just they're just related to a different debate or not. I'm just curious. I mean, I'm starting to think they are because I mean, like, I, I tend to agree on every single point you guys raise here. <laughs> okay. that, that I mean, that um, there there really is no freedom. There there really really isn't. But, mm-hmm. but to me, like, the process 
of rationally choosing among options and using some sort of moral framework to do it to me is like okay even if that is all causal it's like okay there's something to that but maybe it's not free yeah and and oh. and that is almost everything that we care about like <laughs> is what people conclude at the end of that rational like dialogue with themselves you know sure yeah yeah um okay okay I I am I'm much happier at the end of but not happier but just satisfied with my understanding of your position at the end of this episode then. Well, Adam, can you state your position? State my position. Okay. All right. So here's where I'm at at the end of this here. I can give you a yes or no question if you prefer. <laughs> no, let Adam let Adam state it. <laughs> give, give me give me the yes or no. <laughs> I want to hear this. No, okay. <laughs> is it a contradiction to say that, you know, free will is a strong illusion, but in that strong illusion, there is freedom? Oh, I think I just conceded right now that we are not ultimately free. Okay. <laughs> like, I mean, we're, we're not. So, okay. so okay. yes, that is a contradiction. Okay, okay. I was like, like I was like, Jesus Christ! If he says yes to this, we're not even halfway into the episode. Yet. <laughs> well, I, that's the question that I asked earlier, but yeah. he said like there's some freedom in there. I, so that's what I want to clarify. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I guess. But then, I mean, if you you said you know, is it is it an illusion? And then I'm like, fine. Yes. <laughs> fine. But I I still stand by that original quote. There, you know, uh, reason responsiveness. I think there is something to that. You yeah. know. Uh, only, only if it's just moral responsibility. Yeah. So, uh, but, but I think that that definitely added like another layer when I was thinking about this whole thing. So. Okay. Nice. I'm really looking forward to that. I am too. Responsibility. So what I what I think I'm going to do is, um, so for the next episode, I'm going to assign one reading, and then um, another uh, synopsis of a reading. Um, but both actually will amount to to pretty, sh pre I think, less than ten pages. Um, so the the what I'm going to assign, and I'll send you guys the PDFs to this, um, is uh, the it's called the impossibility of moral responsibility by Galen Strawson, mm. and I'm also going to send us a summary of Dirk Paraboom's four case argument against moral responsibility. So what we'll do is, I think this will be a good way to do it. That will be kind of the strong conclusion. And then the subsequent papers that we'll read will be ways of resisting that strong conclusion. Um, and I think that'll be a good, I think that'll be a good way to, uh, to do it. That'll be kind of the punch. And then we'll read ways of resisting that, that conclusion after it. Okay. Nice. nice. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm looking forward to the rest of the series. And uh, we'll leave it off there for listeners. Uh, and I hope you're enjoying it as well. So uh, if you are, tune in to the rest of it.